The scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 4, and um, we're doing a three-week sermon series on asking the question of what is the church? Like, what's the role of the church? Why does the church exist? And specifically then, how does that work itself out for us at Grace Presbyterian Church? Like, why are we here? So, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, hear the word of the Lord. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So thinking about this idea of what is the church, um, specifically like about Grace Presbyterian Church, um, as I was thinking about this sermon and this little series, I was thinking about the idea of search, right? The idea of search. Now, if you drive around the woodlands at all, you know what search is like. You know what it's like to search for something. Um, you know, I, I recently had my Jeep inspected at a place over there by HEB, and they gave me a free car wash, and that was great. And since I've moved here, because my Jeep's a little high, it's hard for me to go to, like, a normal car wash, so I have to, like, go spray it down. And I haven't been able to find one of the spray car wash places. Well, guess what? It's like there's one right there. Um, and I haven't seen it because the trees have been in the way. Um, I couldn't find it. You know, when you're searching for something in the woodlands, even the signs are hard to find. And when you think about a church, like... If you're searching for a church, like why are you searching for a church? And what does it mean to be a part of a church? And what is the church supposed to be all about? Um, I found these signs, maybe you've heard some of these about churches, you know, the little cute little signs sometimes they put out in front of their church to grab your attention, like this must be a fun church. Here was one of them. Lord, help us to be the people our dogs think we are. I thought that was good. Um, when you throw mud at someone, you lose ground. That was another one. The best vitamin for a believer is B1. And then tweet others as you want to be tweeted. Like, you know, the, those signs are all meant to be something that sort of makes you say, ah, oh, that might be an interesting place, or there's something interesting going on there. Well, the scriptures have something to say to us about that. What is the church supposed to be like? Why are we here? Now, I say this, but we're not just a franchise of the Presbyterian Church in America, and I'm selling you something. That is not who we are. Now, we're part of Mission North America, and we're part of a mission that is seeking to reach the people in North America with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why this church is here. What do the scriptures have to say about helping us think about the role of a church in our lives? And so we're going to look at, over the next three weeks, this week is the first one, we're going to talk about how the church is a worshiping and therefore hospitable people. A worshiping and therefore hospitable people. Next week, we're going to talk about how the church is um, a humble and therefore grateful people. And then the third week, a serving and then a, uh, a serving people, therefore equipping. Now, you don't have to remember any of that. Just the only one I want you to think about today is that we are a welcoming people and therefore hospitable. There's something about us under, or a worshiping people and therefore hospitable. There's something about understanding who God is, who you think God is, and how you think who he is interacts with your life that completely determines the way in which you think about other people, it affects how you think about yourself. It helps you think about your calling in the world. It helps you to think about um, where you're going to give your time and, and what you're all about. And what Paul tells us here 
in verse 1, he's a prisoner for the Lord. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. What is this worthy calling that we have received? Well, part of it, as you read in this, this chapter, is that we're meant to be a people who are worshiping God and unified together. That the church is first and foremost meant to be a place where we're seeing who God is and encountering Him. And then as we see Him and encounter Him, it begins to change who we are. And you'll see that as we kind of make our way through this text. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 12 says this, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. That's just a practical reality, right? We are meant to exist in this space of a shared community called the church. Uh, we're meant to have that in, in our lives. And that's why grace is here. And part of what is amazing about what Paul tells us is that as we live into that, as we begin to see who God is, it actually begins to change us in some really powerful, powerful ways. And he describes them here. So, first, Paul talks about being a prisoner um, for the Lord, and he urges them to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Something we take away from that is Paul is laying this out because he's saying, even though I've lost everything, even though I'm a prisoner, even though I've lost my freedom, that means a lot to us as Americans, right? Even though he's lost his freedom and he's been imprisoned, he's like, it's all worth it because I want you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. I want you to hear this message. I want you to hear about who God is and what he said and who Jesus is and what he gives to us. I want you to interact with a life worth living. Now, if you had to answer the question of, is your life worth living or what is a worthy life, how would you quantify that? How would you define it? You know, something fun about Walker starting school is that I get to, we get to do homework together, right? And one of the assignments he has is to answer an essay question on what is the American dream? And you're supposed to do it by reading The Great Gatsby and some other book that was less interesting, but The, the, great, the great Gatsby. And so we did what everyone does when you need to read these books. You watch the movie. And, um, you know, we watched the movie together, and it was great. And Kyle told me, actually, it's one of his favorite books. So Kyle's read it. And um, we, Walker and I started talking about this book. And, and when you watch the movie, what you realize, through Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, is that um, he comes from a very, very poor background and, and really humble beginnings and goes through a series of adventures to where he spends the rest of his entire life trying to measure up. In fact, there's a scene where he goes, I just have to keep going up, old sport. Like, I just have to keep going up. It's an endless pursuit of going up. And he does pretty well. He's got this awesome yellow car, custom, sounds like a hot rod. He's got this giant house. He has um, parties every weekend where thousands of people come, and they're like the most popular people in New York from political uh, folks to actors and actresses to models people with money gangsters they're all there and they're celebrating they're like this Gatsby dude is epic and I won't ruin it for you although you're way behind the ball it's been out for a while you know the book um, but as the movie ends and he dies his funeral is so sad because there's only three people who really show up is that a life worth living is that a worthy life? Is that, you know, it's not that those things are bad in and of themselves, but they aren't enough in and of themselves. Not even for Gatsby. And Paul is talking here about us accessing something that's actually worth living for. This is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Paul writes, And God raised us up with Christ 
and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That is why at Grace Presbyterian Church we are people who are seeking to worship Jesus. This is why. In Christ there are incomparable riches that don't fade at the end of your life. They're incomparable riches that actually are enough to help us say this is a life worth living. A life worthy of this calling we've received. The scriptures are telling us, and this is mysterious, that somehow in Christ we are seated in the heavenly realms. But you and I are in the very mind of God at this moment. And God is saying, those are my beloved, incomparable riches. A life worthy of, a, of this calling that we've been given. You know, I know on your phone there are calls you get that are not worthy to answer, right? Scam, spam, blocked call, whatever. Um, you know, th those people who are calling you on those lines, it's not that they're bad or it's not that they're evil robots, you know, because they're, they're robots too. They're calling to you, but they're not calling for you. They're calling to get your attention. They want to sell you something. They want you to hear something they believe is important, but they're not really calling for you, for your benefit, they're not calling you so you can access incomparable riches. What does it mean to be part of the church? It means to hear this calling from God to put your faith in Jesus and to be recipient of this. Incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's who we are as the church. We're worshiping people who have access to something that is divine, it's mysterious, it's hard to wrap our heads around. So describe it this way, incomparable riches. God is inviting you to receive that. Don't decline the call. Don't turn that one off. Maybe even this morning the Holy Spirit is speaking to you through this scripture. Don't turn it off. God has given you access to something really, really special. To live a life worthy of that calling you've received is to live a life in sync with who God is and his promises. That's, what, that's why we talk about following God, having a relationship with Jesus, obeying his word. It is not control for the sake of control. It is guidance driven by love. God is inviting us to worship him because our souls need to tap into something this significant and this important. And here's what happens when we do. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you hear this? God is calling you into incomparable riches. And when you begin to receive it, he's saying, I am going to complete good things in your life. You are going to be my handiwork. I am going to work in you. I'm going to work through you, and it is going to be beautiful. A life lived worthy of this calling. What are you united to? Verse 6 is telling us God raised us up with Christ. Are you united to Christ? Be careful what you unite yourself to as a primary order of importance. What are you united to? If you're united, first and foremost, to political agendas, then there's at least half the room who you have to fight against. It's not enough. It doesn't last. If, you're, if you are united, first and foremost, to your college team, life gets confusing when you're a Longhorn and your daughter goes to Texas A&M. I recently sent her a picture of, as a two-year-old in a Longhorn cheerleader outfit, and I will forever cherish it. 
as she graduates from Texas A&M this fall? Are you united to political agendas? Are you united to just, you know, fun things as your primary or, uh, definition of sports? Or maybe criticisms. Maybe you're in the critical crowd, you know, you're just really good at seeing the weaknesses of other people. It's just a gift God's given you. You can really access and define exactly where they're falling short and they're failing. Look, that's great. There's no life in it. God has life for us. God is calling us into accessing these incomparable riches. You know, would you say you're attached to that? As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you then to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Then he goes on to describe what this calling that we've received looks like. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We're a people who are being called to live into this very worthy calling of working out how to love each other like God has loved us. As we begin to live into it, God's kingdom begins to bubble up. Who he is begins to become visible. It's kind of like if you're an artist, like maybe you're a painter. I'm not a painter, but maybe you're a painter. If you've ever seen someone on a, who's a painter and they've got this canvas and it's just white, right? Whenever I'm painting, that moment when it's white is the best it's ever going to look. Like that is it. But if you're a painter and you start painting... And, and you start with like grays and blacks. And it's sort of, it's just kind of unclear what it is. But then you get further into it. And then you're doing these yellows and these greens and browns. And trees start to emerge. And maybe happy little clouds, you know, or whatever. If you're a Ross fan. Um, but you're painting. All of a sudden, what was just a thing that was beginning to emerge becomes crystal clear. This is how God works in your life. As you begin to put your trust in Him and your faith in Him, it may kind of be unclear. This is very specifically and particularly where God is taking your heart. To be able to be completely humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We are a worshiping people, and therefore we're enabled to be welcoming because God has welcomed us. We're enabled to be hospitable because God has been hospitable to us. You see that? We are being shaped, we're being painted, if you will, into the image of who Jesus is as we trust in God, as we follow Him, as we live into Him. Now, when you hear these words, it may sound kind of unrealistic. Um, you know, be completely humble, completely gentle, completely patient, bear with one another in love. I mean, I really want a friend like that. I haven't met anybody who can do that well yet, right? These are, this, is a high, this is a tall order. And when you hear it, you can have one of, a couple responses. One response is, well, I already got that. I'm pretty humble. I'm very patient. I am very gentle. I bear with people in love. I'm in a good place. And maybe you can catch up. That's what we call self-righteousness. And maybe that's where you are, you know. Or maybe you're kind of on the other side of it, the other side of self-righteousness. You're like, well, I've tried to be humble and I can't. I've tried to be gentle and I can't. I've tried to be patient, and it's just frustrating, right? It's frustrating to try to be patient. I can't bear with people in love because they don't deserve it. It's the other side of self-righteousness. In those, both those moments, you're saying there's something that's bigger and more powerful than God's grace, something more significant and life-giving than this agenda God has for us to bring us together as one in His church. It's a form of self-righteousness. There's another way. There's a better way. 
And the way is to be united to one another in Christ. To be united to Christ and therefore part of one another's lives. So let's look at this for a second. Paul starts, be completely humble. It's probably a little easier to hear this. Lean into, seek to be humble. Right? Try to pursue it. C.S. Lewis said this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And the point he's making there is what Jesus says. It's, it's right. It's loving one another as God has loved us. Love one another as yourself. Considering the good of the other as actually a really important thing. Humility is not being timid. It's not the idea of being a pass, being pass, uh, sort of passive and sort of a uh, doormat. That's not. That's not Christ-like humility. It's not what we're talking about here. Paul's saying, be humble. Be completely humble. Seek to consider the good of others above yourself. See Christ for who he is. And Christ was humbled. Came as a child, born to a poor family. Didn't receive a lot of respect from the government. The religious people hated him most. He left a place of glory. He abandoned all that. He became humble. And the result of it was life. We're being invited into a Christ-like humility. We're being invited into trusting him, into living, into being, seeking to be humble. You know, seeing Christ for who he is is the act of worship. Do you see Christ as a humble king? He's a humble king. We're being invited into a Christ-driven, Christ-enabled, Christ-provoked humility. Then, be completely gentle. Now, being humble and being gentle is always going to require faith. Because usually being humble, if you're doing it right, and usually being really gentle or patient if you're doing it right, doesn't feel real good at first. It's costly. But we remember how much Christ sacrificed, how much Christ struggled for our sakes in his seeking humility, in his seeking patience, in his seeking to love us. So what about this idea of being gentle? I've told you about my dog before, Bentley. I've got so many stories about Bentley. But if you're ever at my house, you can take a treat and you can throw it right at Bentley's face and he'll love it. Like you can just ping him right in the side of the head and he'll be so excited. Or you can throw it way over him and he'll be really excited. But probably one of the most fun things to do is take one of the treats and look at Bentley and go gentle. Gentle. And then he kind of like creeps up to you real slow and you go, oh, gentle Bentley, gentle, be gentle. And as soon as he gets close, his little black lips start kind of you know, trembling, he's just trying to be so gentle, and he will take it so gently from you. He's intentionally, even though he has the power, because those teeth look mean, he's a golden retriever, but it looks, it looked, you know, I wouldn't want him biting me. He has all this power, and he just approaches gently and just barely takes it. This idea of being gentle is this intentionality to be gracious to one another, dealing in kindness instead of dealing in harshness. Dealing in creative graciousness instead of creative criticism. Searching for how to influence people by loving them and setting an example versus just kind of getting to the point and being direct and having an agenda. We're being called into being considerate of each other, being gentle. Why? Because Christ is gentle with us. He's gracious with us. He's slow to anger with us. He's abounding in love with us. And the result is what? Resurrection. Are you picking up on it? As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This is a life lived worthily. To be completely humble. To be gentle. To be patient. To bear with one another in love. 
This idea of being patient, again, requires a lot of faith. It requires us saying, I'm going to actually trust that God's ways are better than my immediate need for resolution in this particular area that I must lean into right this moment. It is to believe what we read earlier in Ephesians, that God actually knows our days before we live them. That He's got everything in control, even when we struggle to believe that He does. How can we grow in patience? It is real simple. You probably, I haven't seen anyone do it well, muster it on your own. It starts with you understanding how patient God has been with you. That's the key. God's patience with us, God's humility with us, God's gentleness with us, it has led to life in us. And God is saying, I want you to reflect that towards others. Do you really want to see his kingdom come to bear? Learn to be patient as God has been patient with you. And those three things lead us somewhere. Patience, humility, gentleness. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you see that? As we seek to be gentle, as we seek to be patient, as we seek to be humble, as we seek to bear with one another, life begins to happen. We begin to experience unity because we're united to Christ and we're united to one another. You know, this idea of bearing with one another, one of the places I see this happen often is with moms who have kind of mastered the art of being uh, really patient with their kids and really kind. Moms know what it's like to feed a baby who will turn around and throw food back in your face. They know what that's like. Uh, they know what it's like to provide everything for a child and for the child to go, you don't love me at all. I, mean, I said that to my parents. Now, a mom knows what it's like to invest and to love and to care for with the long-term goal of that child one day knowing how much they are treasured. I have a friend who's just finishing her first trimester right now. She's three months, four months pregnant. And um, <clears throat> she said the first four months have been really kind of uncomfortable. She hasn't slept well. Uh, food has been weird. Life's just been difficult. And I said, man, that parenting thing just from the beginning is tough. And she said, yeah, I'm just so tired. And I said, well, you are making a human being, right? Like that must take a lot of calories to craft a human. And she's doing it because she loves that child so much no matter the sacrifice. And what is the result of it? Life. Listen to a couple of these quotes. This is John Wesley. He said this, Humility and patience are the surest proofs of the increase of love. The surest proofs of the increase of love, us growing in patience and growing in kindness, growing in humility. Why? Well, as Paul says elsewhere, those are fruits of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the reality of who God is among us. Hudson Taylor said this, there are three indispensable requirements for a missionary. See if you can remember these. Three indispensable requirements for a missionary. Patience, patience, patience. Part of our being patient is not just being patient on God. That's true. We're patient with God. God accomplishes your purposes. Part of our patience is actually for ourselves because we're all in process. We're all those who are in need of forgiveness. You know, I read these scriptures. I was actually talking to my wife about this text. And I was like, you know, can you imagine if I said to you, okay, I know I was impatient yesterday. I'm going to be completely patient forever now. I think she would go, okay, buddy. We're in process. We constantly need forgiveness. We constantly need to access God's grace. We constantly need to be reminded that, hey, as difficult as these things are, remember, I have incomparable riches for you. 
You're already in Christ. And as you seek humility and patience and kindness, bearing with one another in love, being long-suffering with each other, I am, this is what I'm accomplishing. I am making one body and one spirit with this one calling to one hope, with one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's who we are as the church. We're not a perfect people. We're a people who are saying, okay, this is our, this is our calling. To understand how much we're loved, to work that out towards others. And as we do that, the kingdom of God begins to appear. And it's a long road. It's like pulling into Texas at Beaumont and seeing that sign 835 miles or whatever it is to El Paso and thinking, okay, 12 hours, we're going to drive 12 hours, we're going to get there eventually. If you stay on the road and you follow the sign, you're going to get to El Paso. It's going to happen. God is saying is if you will acknowledge your need of me, if you'll confess your sin, if you will cling to this promise that I have incomparable riches for you that are beyond your imagining, if you'll lean into being humble, if you'll lean into being patient, if you'll lean into being gentle, if you'll look for ways to be long-suffering with one another, which will be costly, if you'll do that, I, this is where I'm leading you. I'm leading you to this beautiful picture of my community in the church where I can be seen, where you can be loved, where I, where I can be pursued, where you can be pursued. That's, what, that's why our church is here. We're a church that is seeking to be a place to embody God's love in relationships and in our worship, in all that we do, so that others might be encouraged to grow, to trust, to look to Him. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can look at churches like a vendor of goods and services, and I'm not saying those things are irrelevant, they're not. There are some churches who have just, you know, really good preachers. And there are some, like ours, we have, a, you know, a good preacher or whatever. There are some who have other things that they offer that are really attractive. Those are beautiful things. We pray for those churches. You know, the Woods Edge Church that, that we love and care for, they're the reason we, get to, we got to keep worshiping every week after our building flooded. Like, thank the Lord for all the beautiful churches in the woodlands who are centered on Jesus Christ. But even those churches, we're not a vendor of religious goods and services. That's not who we are. You know, I have a friend who just had this, maybe you've experienced this. He just upgraded his internet from 25 megabytes to a gigabyte. Like life is good in their house right now. Things are doing what they're supposed to be doing, exactly what we expect. I wish I could tell you that's how the church works. I wish I could just like upgrade something and say, hey, we got a gigabyte now and everything's great and you're never going to be disappointed. You're never actually going to need to apply God's grace in this place. We're set. That's not the case. We're the church. We're in process. But the beautiful thing is, is that what we're clinging to is the certainty of God's grace for us, this incomparable riches as he unites us in this living a life that's worthy of this calling we've received. You're part of that. And I'm part of that. And I'm grateful that we get to seek the Lord together. I want to encourage you, pray for our church. I'm done now. Pray for our church. September 12th, we have our ministry launch Sunday. It's our big kickoff new Sunday schools, a new sermon series. We're talking about the minor prophets. If you haven't studied those, we're going to do a different minor prophet each week. Um, community groups will start. Things are going to start happening. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to pray that our church is a place where we can worship and therefore be hospitable. That even that Sunday, like God through His Spirit might continue to enable us to be a worshiping people, to really see Jesus for who He is and to be changed by our encounter with Him. Let's pray together. 
Jesus, we are grateful for your word. We're thankful as we read from Ephesians chapter 2 of these incomparable riches that you've given to us. We're grateful that there's a message, as we read in Ephesians chapter 4, that of your grace and your kindness that is actually a message worth living for, a calling that is actually enough to sustain us and to encourage and empower us. Father, would you help this to be a church? Would you help us to be the church in a way that truly exhibits and expresses your grace and your kindness that many more might trust in you and so that we might grow in our faith? Do this, we ask, in the powerful name of Christ. Amen.